Worship is the opposite of consuming. It's not about me, it's about God. And so if you're living in a consumeristic culture, you're going to struggle to see how the church benefits you if you think it's all about you. Hello and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host, Cameron McAllister. And I'm your co-host, Nathan Rittenhouse. Dwindling church attendance, Nathan. Nah, old news. Well, old news. Happy Monday. But <laughs> we got some da- we got some interesting data on that. And this pertains to evangelical circles, which still constitutes one of, I mean, let's face it, the biggest players in the American church. So it's of interest, I, th- I would think, to everybody. But essentially, here are some of the interesting facts. And this is coming from, this research, by the way, is coming from a book called The Great De-Churching, which I have not read yet, but it's actually on my list. It's got a number of... That doesn't stop the, us from talking about it. Absolutely not. That would never stop us. But it has it has some pretty impressive reviews and some voices I trust. Jake Mador, who's the editor-in-chief of Mere Orthodoxy, he's a guy, I, I we like his thought a lot. Very, very good analysis. He had a good review of the book, so that speaks highly of it, I think. But here's what's interesting. Usually you hear, I mean, we hear a lot about people leaving the church in droves, and the assumption is usually they're walking away from the church, they're walking away from Christianity. Not according to this data. Most of the people surveyed basically retained their orthodox beliefs. So they still affirm the Trinity, they believe in the virgin birth, they believe Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. They just don't go to church, and they don't think church is necessary. They see it as kind of optional. And so a number of different theologians and pastors and church leaders are kind of working on recovering a richer ecclesiology. Ooh, Historically speaking... Can we call it rechurching? Yeah. I mean, if the book is de-churching, we got to call this rechurching. <laughs> rechurching. Well, I mean, historically <laughs> speaking, evangelicalism has a pretty low view of church. And this is just compared to well, you better clarify that. Traditions. Yeah, you better clarify this a little bit. I will I think clarify that. People will gasp there, but yes, contextualize it. Yeah, they do. Okay, so for well, for instance, Catholics maintain there's no salvation outside the church. Now, obviously, there's nuance there, by the way, you know, and and people, but essentially, church in in Catholicism is an essential part of your Christian mm-hmm. of your of the expression of your Christian devotion. That's true of traditional Lutheran Lutheranism as well. And that's that's certainly true of Greek Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox Church as well. So, and you know, that sounds pretty foreign, I think, to well, many, so, to so many any, evangelicals. Well, so any sacramental view of the church in which the church is the means of grace by which grace is administered to you sacramentally. Correct. Uh, yeah. In, then in, there's an yes, agency the inherent in the institution itself that is yes. necessary for salvation. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so, by contrast— you don't get that down at Second Baptist. Churches, you don't get that down at Second Baptist. But some of the fallout from that has been now there's been such the, the the view of church was so comparatively low that a lot and the vision for salvation so individualistic mm. that now many people don't think think of church as necessary at all. And it was interesting. I want to hand this over to you, Nathan, in a second. But one of the articles I was reading that was looking at this and and that was arguing for 
rechurching, as you said, you know, church as essential. What was interesting about it was I thought it left out one of the most important parts of church. It talked a lot about how, well, Christians need to gather together so that we can learn to love, love one another. We need to gather together so that we can, we need discipleship. And so discipleship has to happen. Now, side note, we, uh, we know that one of the inconvenient truths, one of the elephants in the room is that many, many, many churches don't really emphasize discipleship at all. Maybe that's a, a separate discussion, but ideally speaking, they, they should, right? But so Probably because Jesus said to, other than that. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably because Jesus said that we should. But what was that Great Commission thing about making disciples? Hmm. Yeah, that Great Commission. You know what Dallas Willard used to say about that? People focus so much on a mission statement. They, you know, they spend countless hours and devote so much mental energy. You know, the Great Commission, that's your mission statement. That is the best mission statement ever crafted. You don't really need anything else. I just thought was I always thought that was that was great. But he left this this article left out the word worship. Not a single word about that. I found that a little bit revealing, actually. Hmm. But Nathan, when you when you hear that, you you had mentioned, yeah, so de-churching, or yeah, people walking away from church is old news. I'm wondering how you responded to the information that many of these people actually still hold on to their traditional Christian convictions. They just don't go to church. Yeah, so the my first response is a little bit knee jerk. It's sort of like jumping into the deep end of the pool. You go down eight feet, and you think hmm, oxygen isn't really necessary. I'm doing fine. <laughs> uh, you know, okay, that's a very short term position and posture that you're in. So on one hand, I would have a. Um, that's not to say that you can't believe true things in isolation, but if the things that are true inherently are meant to be communal then you're not believing fully the idea that you say that you are. So I think the operative word that you pointed out was the individual nature of the way in which we've individualized salvation. Um, to borrow from Grandpa Rittenhouse, the line that our salvation is personal, but it isn't individual, sort of strikes that balance in that it is predicated on a personal relationship with the Lord, but there's no part of that that's meant to be enacted in isolation in order for it to reach its fullness or as somebody once said in a book, it's very hard to one another yourself. Um, so there, there is <laughs> like a sense that. in which you can, I, and we, and we've known people. I was, you know, my sister-in-law was saying that uh, in college, somebody joined, I think a Bible study. She was a part of her church. Um, and he said, I've, I've been a Christian a long time, but I've never been part of a church. And she said, well, you know, hmm. what were you doing? He said, well, YouTube basically. And then, uh, she said, so what made the change? And he said, I think I spiritually outgrew it. And that was an interesting thing of, sure. of saying I've, yeah. I've reached a, a threshold or a limit here. Um, that's something there's a, there's a significant nutrient deficiency in my life. If I'm not part of a corporate fellowship, I've, I've reached a threshold of mm-hmm. what I can experience spiritually. Now, this is not to say that Bonhoeffer in prison was not communing with the Lord. I think that's an entirely different category then so sure. for the Lord to be able to reach us and meet us wherever we are, praise God, that's the way that that works. However, if you're not part of it, it, it sort of goes back. I've, I've joked in the past and saying, you know, um, do you have any good friends whose spouse really irritates you? So if I said to you, Cameron, you know, Cameron, I like you, but Heather, man, she gets under my skin. What an annoying, obnoxious, you know, it's mm-hmm. just, 
it's just cringe every time I'm around her. <laughs> you know, what does that, which is not true for all you listening, but what does that do to the nature of our relationship, Cameron? If, and so if you think of the church sure. as the bride of Christ, something about how you interact with and think about church says something very deep about you spiritually. Mm -hmm. So I, I think you can say, okay, these people are leaving the church and they check all of the boxes. If your discipleship and your formation and transformation in the likeness of Christ is about checking off a list, then that's possible. Mm -hmm. If it, if it, if it's rooted deeper into a, a collective experience of reality and then back into worship where the manifest presence of God is made known amongst us, which I'm happy to critique alongside there and say that that is one sure. of the massively missing elements in, in much of our corporate worship these days. Um, but until you see that as an ideal, you're not going to think that you're missing out on something if you just step away from it. So anyway, th that's just kind of an initial yeah. blah in response to your question. Well, I think, and so I want to bring in a few historical pieces on how we got here. And I'm only going to scratch the surface, but I think they'll, they will, I'm hoping they're helpful in illustrating the current predicament. So if you go back to the Great Awakenings, you have the seeds of this kind of emphasis already. So a George Whitfield, you know, one of the great revival preachers, was never a consistent member of a local congregation. Now he attended, he did attend church for the most part his entire life, but he didn't really have a home church. In the Second Great Awakening, probably the greatest or most famous leader was Charles Finney. The same, the same is true of him. I think Charles Finney began in a Presbyterian church, but then quickly, I don't, do we want to use the word outgrew? <laughs> His approach basically necessitated a different theological framework. That's well, my most diplomatic way. Yeah, that was delicately put. Um, oh, let's, yeah. let's make it a little more yeah. personal. Um, I remember, and maybe it was just the version I read, uh, there was a guy once named Ravi Zacharias whose obituary yes. never mentioned the word church. Well, no, and actually that brings me to another person. I want to get back to Ravi in a second here, but Billy Graham. So this is something I just learned, Nathan. I didn't know this. Billy Graham, it's true, was a member of a church in Dallas for over 50 years. Oh, in yeah. Dallas? Do you know where he lived, though? Yeah. Do you know where Billy Graham lived? <laughs> yes, in Montreat, North Carolina where he attended a Presbyterian church that Ruth, his wife, was a part of. So there's, and you know why? This was also interesting because if, according to Billy Graham, if he were a part of any other church in the Baptist sort of, you know, circles, he would, nobody would leave him alone. But and he basically said, obviously, at this Presbyterian church, nobody asked me to do anything. <laughs> so, well, yeah, I that. mean, well, so you have, and he's probably one of the greatest modern parachurch, he led one of the greatest modern parachurch evangelistic ministries. And he, you know, he didn't emphasize being part of a local congregation. Ooh. So, well, hey, wait, while we're, yeah, while we're on and, this downward spiral, yes. um, so you mentioned parachurch, the attrition rate from the faith for people involved in campus parachurch ministries after they graduate is shockingly high. So if you're part is of a right? campus ministry and your and your sole spiritual formation is around a group of people for four years, and then that group graduates and scatters all over the world, mm. the next step of senior year finishing a parachurch, if you weren't already connected to a local church, isn't that great. 
and this is something we've talked to campus minister, you know, leaders about this. That's a known fact that you have to be in order to thrive spiritually. It's a great fun to have a parachurch connection, but you have to be embedded in a local congregation as well for the yes, long term so, sustainability of it. Yeah. And so what we're pointing to here is, is a, a legacy of a de-emphasis of local involvement in your church. And this was, this was part of yeah. And Ravi Zacharias is, is in that li- list that at the time before his, his downfall, he was leading, I think to date, it was still the biggest apologetics ministry. And I know there were, there was a lot of sort of hemming and hawing, but I think we could say RZIM was a parachurch ministry mm-hmm. and you, yeah. And so it's, it's figurehead not involved in a local congregation. I don't know at the end whether he was even a member. And but that's not an isolated incident. Oh, Pat Robertson's another example, by the so, way. Pat Robertson I, well, just bluntly stated he didn't go because it was boring. <laughs> well, that's honest. At, when a reporter asked him. They, yeah, well, okay, so let yeah. me let me just, just, just zoom back here a second. Um I'm not yep. I don't think there's anything wrong with parachurch organizations. I think they serve phenomenal ministry needs in the world. Not what we're so saying. Don't hear no, saying no, that. No, no, yeah, but what great. we are saying is you can't be a hyper church in the sense that you're above it. You can't be a hyper church ministry. Um, And you can't work out your salvation on a purely individualistic level. By the way, those verses, you know, work out your own salvation of fear and trembling. That's not what they mean. (laughs) They don't mean just, that doesn't mean you isolated individual working out your own salvation. So this is one of the pitfalls of the English language in the New Testament. I was just talking to somebody about, what were we talking about? Something at church. Um, Oh, is the amount of times that the you in English in Greek is plural in the New Testament. So probably you need to bring in some Southern grammar here to make your English translations work. Yeah. I know you don't like to say it, Cameron, but um, the the you plural. I say it. I I resisted (laughs) for like 17 years and then I I caved. I just don't say all y'all. So at the point at which is a translation (laughs) that uses all y'all, Cameron's right out. But it's... Mm. I'm I'm joking here, but back to the seriousness of the is the fact, and I don't I don't have that one in front of me right now to look and see. But a, I think as Americans, we tend to read the use as individual, um, and oftentimes they're they're collectives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, we have for you you we're pointing to a legacy of an individualistic view of salvation. And now we're seeing those long-term consequences played out. And it's interesting to note that in the Great Awakenings, I mean, just to make a general observation here, I mean, we're running roughshod over very, that's always the risk of talking about history. You're talking about highly specific, you know, in, you know, stuff that happened at the normal glacial pace of life, but you, you can still make some general observations. And one of them is that by and large, even with that more individualistic emphasis, people were still going to church on a regular basis. But as that view has kind of curdled, you might say, now you've got a generation of people who aren't. Now, it it will be interesting to see, Nathan, one of the great, I have a friend who's a youth minister, and he's always pointed out that it's, it's very interesting to see people who walk away from church for a season and then have basically families and children and how they, mm-hmm. they often come back to church because they realize, well, my subdivision isn't going to be the village that's going to help me raise these children. <laughs> yeah. So I think, I mean, so, so practically yeah. that works, but on the other hand, I don't go to church for my kids. I, you know, there's, but there seems I think, to sort of no, be that, you don't, that thing. That's not ideal, but I think a lot of people do, Nathan. 
Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of people have a highly functional view of why they would go to church. They're looking for some kind of a social benefit. Those social benefits have changed. That It used to be the case, of course, that when Christianity held higher cultural sway or had more cultural capital, to use the, the phrase of sociology, you could go to church as part of keeping up with the Joneses. And it was a good thing, right? You're, you're a, you know, you're, <laughs> you're a person who's involved with your church and that, I think in some pockets of the South that does still carry some, I think there is still some social advantage to being involved with the church. I think that's dwindling, but by and large, the people still take a highly functional view of church, but now I think they're looking more, they're looking at it more in terms of childcare, people helping and coming alongside you, meal trains and all that. Now, by the way, these are, I think, oh, vital, yeah, those beautiful great. aspects of church. Yeah, I'm all about I'm, that lasagna. I'm, I'm all about those casseroles. <laughs> I was, I'm very, Heather and I were so grateful for that as we were, you know, as we've, you know, had children or, or you know, when you're down with illness and all that. I mean, that's people being the hands and feet of Christ to you. But obviously, though, well, not obviously, but may we suggest to you that's not the central reason for church attendance. That's one of those wonderful benefits of being part of a body. But it's not, it ought not to be the main reason we're going to church. Let me give you this line. See how this feels. I'm not smart enough to not go to church. Yes, I like that very much. Because and, it's kind of insulting toward your... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> you liked it because of the self-deprecation. So I, I, I think there's a sense in which people think, like, I've kind of outgrown that. Like, I know I know all of this stuff. Like, I, I can check the box yeah. in my orthodoxy. Um, and good for you if you can. I think I can also check those boxes and I, I see that there's a whole yeah. lot more. And I need help well, to learn it. Well, I... There's a little convenient soundbite that runs around my circles, and I think it actually is helpful here. You're catechized by the church one day a week. You're catechized by the culture, you know, 24 hours a day, 365, right? <laughs> but that's really important, though. I mean, because if if you recognize that we as persons are, you know, we're formed by our environments, that doesn't mean or- our environments completely determine our actions, yeah, we just we are we just, formed by them. So, case in point, we just had an all church camp out this weekend, and I led a devotion Friday night and out of Proverbs thirteen: "He who walks with the wise gains wisdom, but the companion of fools suffers harm." Yeah. There it is. You're catechized there by who you spend time with. And I mean, let's face it: a lot of us spend a whole lot of time with YouTube. No, that's what I with said. All of its yeah. myriad <laughs> does not count as personalities. Yeah. <laughs> Or, or the memes. The seat of scoffers, but, Psalm 1. Hmm. Yeah. Well, of course. Yeah, of course. But I think also, let's bring in an, a, the, a relational dimension here of this. One of the analogies I often use is you can get to a... So I've, I've heard and may have uttered phrases along the lines of, oh gosh, another sermon on the need for grace, another sermon on the gospel. I, I think I got it at this point. <laughs> but do I ever come to a place where... Heather tells me, I love you. And I say, okay, I can't even tell you how many times you've told me that now. I've got it. I know. Let's just say it's it's just settled. No, I I haven't heard that enough. I need to keep, I need to continue, continually hear that. I need to continually hear the gospel and I need to continually have my head straightened out so that I see reality for what it actually is. And 
in order to do that, I don't just need me and my Bible and be on my knees alone. I need the church. I need God's people. Okay, let me preempt an objection here, which is to say that your Christian faith is not true because of, your Christian faith is not true because of some kind of group think. Like it doesn't become mm. more true because sure. you're doing it as a group. However, the truths that are within it don't reach their full potential unless you're doing it as a group. So this is not to say that something can be true and not, can't be true in isolation, independent of a community. It can, but if that truth is inherently communal and relational, then it, it's, but it's also, is there not a sense in Cameron where we kind of have this lowest common denominator of um, church? So let's say, for example, hmm. um, oh, pop quiz. Name a professional sports team in Atlanta, Georgia. You live there. Hawks. Hawks. Okay. The Hawks. Okay. So. Atlanta Hawks. Yep. Atlanta Hawks. Let's go with this, where if you said to me, Nathan, um, I'm a huge fan of the Atlanta Hawks. And I say, cool. Like, do you have any merch? You're like, no. Mm. And I was like, um, who plays for the Hawks? And you're like, I don't know. And no I say, <laughs> you know, what's, what's their record? I don't know. And you're like, when I go to the games, I try to see how far away from the action I can sit. Like, I really seek out the nosebleed section. Like, you know, there, there's a certain point of like, are you really a fan? Like, you don't know anything about the team. You don't yep. change your life. You don't have any working functional knowledge of what's going on. And you try mm -hmm. to be within the arena or stadium, but at the farthest distance from what's actually happening. It starts, you know, like, it. so there's, there's some of this yep. conversation that seems like it parallels that to me as well of like, well, my, yeah, I don't know. It's maybe I'm being cynical, but there's a bit of that that, seems true in my no mind. true and yeah i mean I, that's the impression i often get when when people essentially well when we're tempted to essentially take the line of i'm not like those other christians mm -hmm. i'm not like those cringeworthy people you know it was actually is interesting reinhold niebuhr himself very sophisticated very educated you know theologian taught at union theological seminary back when it was you know, actually at its zenith that, you know, it's, it's fallen on harder days, but he would always say, he really emphasized, don't try to make that false distinction, but you know, these are, well, those aren't my people. No, no, no. If you're a Christian, those are your people, you know, mm -hmm. even, you know even crazy uncles and all, but I want to go some, back to something that you said earlier, Nathan. So on the one hand, we can say that, you know, the truth exists independent of our wishes, our wills, our whims. That's true. But we as human beings, our access to truth is always personal and it's always communal. So, and we can, we, I mean, we can come back to that in a second. I'm drawing my thinking here from Michael Polanyi, who was a chemist, a scientist, but he was also an epistemologist. Boy, is that a it's not a very nice sounding job title. <laughs> I'm sure but he had a lot of fun in his, life. Yes, absolutely. He was he was Mr. Fun. But his his book, Personal Knowledge, makes this case at great length. But my point here with regard to the church is that you we're always going to, no matter how individualistic you think that you are, in the end, you're an inescapably communal and relational creature. And you're going to participate. Your access to the truth is going to be mediated through a community. Am I saying it's relative? No, I'm not. I'm saying you have an inescapably human perspective because you're a person. You can't climb out of your human experience. 
but my point is a lot of people who think I don't need the church, what you are, what you don't realize is that you're starting to, you're going to gravitate toward another community. And that other community is going to help, whether you like it or not, structure your beliefs. For many people, that's some kind of a, it might be Joe Rogan for some folks. It might be Rachel Maddow. It might be Ben Shapiro. I mean, you yep. know, just take your pick, okay? But these people are speaking to you from, this is a network, and it's, and it's going to help structure your thoughts. The key aim here is to, you want to find a stable, reliable, trustworthy authority and plausibility structure in your life. I'm using ugly kind of academic terminology, but the, the church is a beloved community, but your local congregation is that as well. This, this is why when we become a part of a church, it is a prayerful journey that we undertake because we want to, this is, these will be our people and this is your community and you're seeking the Lord together. And that's why you want, you want people who are not just that. See, this is why you can see how it's not just a matter of, well, you want really, really amazing, solid biblical preaching that's accurate. Well, sure. You, of course you do, but you also want virtuous people. Oh, right. Yeah. You and, want people you know, teaching who, so, it, well, okay. Hang on a second. Can I interrupt you here? Cause this is a challenge yeah, for me. Please do. Is that yep. I, the cynic in me is having increasingly harder time worshiping with people that I don't know because I want to know something about the person who is leading the worship. And I want to know something about the life of the person yep. who is preaching. And, um, I don't know if that's just like a reality of the time in which we live, or if that's like some bitter, sinful blockage in well, my own heart, but I'm, it's, it's becoming more important for me to actually know something about the person who I'm choosing to let guide me in my reflections well, and contemplation. In the modern world, because churches now are, well, they're, they're generally, they get bigger, and they're not part of a parish model, usually. Yours, yours Nathan, is closer to, I think, a kind of a parish model, just by necessity. But most people now choose their church according to you I mean the, it doesn't have to do with its location its its location is is one among many variables you know what i mean mm -hmm. so your chances of of worshiping with a lot of people who are strangers to you is pretty high now i would say probably historically high okay now, but I so have, yeah all right so but to, to justify the de-churchers let's say you're standing uh, in a row of chairs with 25 other people that you don't know Mm -hmm. it, the, the step to like just not being yep. there is pretty easy. Yeah. And I think, and it can come in degrees. I mean, let's face it, COVID, you know, the whole 2020 phenomenon, I think forced a lot of people's hands on this one. So a lot of, they, they moved to online and then churches opened back up, but then you had a group of people who just, you know, stayed online and then you had this big debate in some of these churches. Well, do we continue streaming this or do we, you know, insist that all of our, our members, no, you want it. You want to be participate in the life of the body. You got to show up on Sunday. We're taking the streaming down. We're not recording anything. I hey, mean, I knew hey, those were. That, nope. No, that's our church. We're like, nope. But not in that tone. Not, <laughs> not in that not, tone. Does not, eh, not exactly. No. It's like, if you're not there, you miss something. So, so, but I think that was the, so that was a further kind of obviously push towards some people who just, they left during COVID and they just stayed gone, you know, and they didn't come back. And then 
they real and I think some people thought, well, I'm not missing anything. I mean, I think there's room here. I'm not missing anything. I think there's room here, Nathan, also for bringing in some of the inconvenient things that we modern people don't like to hear. Sometimes we, sometimes we ask the wrong questions, and sometimes we look at these things in the wrong terms. And I would suggest there's some leeway here with some nuance, but I, I should be, I'm just going to go all Stanley Hauerwas and, and be provocative <laughs> for a second so, to stimulate thought. If you're, if you're saying, why well, I, I stopped going to church because I wasn't getting any, getting anything out of it, you're doing it wrong. Well, it's not so, the right response. Y- yeah. Well, the, uh, the whole, well, it's a classic line. I, w- I just wasn't being fed there. Um, to which my dad as a pastor always responded. That's funny. My kids started feeding themselves when they were about 18 months old. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I've I, yes, that's that's the line I I've I've commonly heard as well, and then it's fun to well, it's not fun, but you can note the number of us who take our phones, our smartphones, into the sanctuary with us, and maybe make occasional use of the of those during the sermon, and then it's a bit rich if that's what you're doing, and then you come out. Well, I I wasn't fed in there. Well, were you listening? <laughs> well, well so, kind of. You know, that's how I watch my TV shows. Oh, so this is like a TV show for you? I've I've never heard a sermon that I didn't learn something from. Now, some of those include like I never want to say that again. Don't do or, this. <laughs> don't <Yeah>. do this. <laughs> there's <laughs> yeah. that. But um, yeah, there's obs- so. All right, let's let's project this out a little farther though. So this is the current research. Where do you think this is going? So, caveat: neither of us are qualified to speculate on this, but that's not going to slow us down. Um, absolutely. So, okay. First of all, if you don't go to church, that's probably the probability of you passing your faith on to the next generation is extremely low. Are you speaking meaningfully in the lives of anybody else or mentoring or being mentored is pretty low. So that kind of goes to my jumping in the pool analogy. Like you can do it, but I think there's a timestamp on that. Will there not though, then be a resurgence after that, probably led by a younger crowd who is seeking. I would think so community yes. where you can be known and still loved yes. um particularly around churches that capitalize on the things that churches are really good at that don't seem to be trying to compete with the world uh, on the entertainment level so to me this is sad to me it's not pessimistic not at all and i i think it's part of the refining that's happening in the US right now so i still maintain in my big picture take on this is that cultural Christianity was a lot more subtle in the United States than we thought it was and that it's dying on the vine now because we are truly becoming, we're becoming more post-Christian than we have been. It's important to stress here that this is U.S. style post-Christian. Mm, mm-hmm. It's Post-Christian is not going to look like it did in Europe in Western Europe, like it does in Western Europe. That's where I grew up in Western Europe, so I can speak with a tiny bit of authority there. I've been there in a long time, so qualify it with that. But the U.S. is, first of all, we're too much of a melting pot with too many vibrant faith traditions represented here. And and the centrality of religion to American life is too, is so striking. So but then again, it was, I suppose it was in Europe as well, but you didn't have quite the legacy of religious wars that oh, kind right. of mm-hmm. gave rise to the Enlightenment. You didn't, you've never really had that, not not like that in the U.S. So I think, but as we become more post-Christian, that that those those sort of subtly, culturally Christian 
approaches to, and I don't, I'm really hesitant to, I'm not, I'm not I don't want to put point fingers or anything like that. I think a lot of churches wanted to make a positive impact and wanted to have a positive influence on the culture. And so they, they ended up adopting some, you know, models that were celebrity, you know, predicated on celebrity or being more accessible and being more evangelistic than, than a traditional church service. And now that that's not as possible anymore and that's going away, what I think is going to happen is you you will see church attendance continue to drop, but the churches that remain, you're going to have a, a real powerful vibrancy to them and mm-hmm. a convictional strength that was not there before and an honesty that was not there before. So That was I my experience see, in New it. England already. Well, see, yeah, and, and when, hallelujah. I mean, that's a great, so I that's a hopeful thing for me. I think letting go of cultural Christianity, I think this this is where you, people our age, Nathan, need to be more sympathetic, and you've pointed this out before, to those who are old enough to feel the loss that we don't even see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on here, um, and I'm sure it's multivariable on another hand, but just to continue to ratchet up the provocative nature of this a little bit, one of the things that impedes this is that churches still really care about numbers and membership lists and are very unwilling to take people off of them. And so (laughs) it's not uncommon for a church to have as a member, somebody who hasn't been there for three years. Um, So I think Mm -hmm. there will be some restructuring too in the way that we think about what does it mean to be one of what it is that we are. That's a big question for churches to ask as well. And you don't want to be exclusive on the other hand, um, if you don't show up for any of the practices, you're probably not on the soccer team. Um, and if you do that for a couple of years, you know, so, so there's a sense in which I think there will be that refining, clarifying um, uh, revolution of distinctions and distinctiveness that's based around community. But then yeah. I think, you know, we didn't ta- uh, tangle with the beast of the fact of what does it mean to experience the glory of God in our, in our midst in worship. Um, mm-hmm. So this is, uh, well, let me give you let me give you one final. This is kind of like the classic old uh, country preacher illustration, right? So, this guy he stops going to church. He hasn't been there for a few weeks, and the preacher goes to visit him. And uh, the guy opens the door to his cabin, and he walks in, and they don't say anything. And they sit down on two chairs by the fireplace, and there's a bed of coals there. And the preacher takes the tongs and reaches in and pulls out one of the live hot coals and sets it off on the hearth by itself. And they sit there a few minutes and the and the light goes out of it and it cools off and darkens. And then the preacher takes the tongs and picks up the coal and puts it back in the bed of coals and it bursts into flame and light again and is producing heat and then hangs up the tongs and walks out. And as the story goes, the man is in church the next Sunday. Uh, and so the, the illustration there of of pulling an individual out of a collective and watching what happens to it but then also the hope of what happens when that individual is reconnected back into, um, we might say the hot mess <laughs> that is the church, um, that that is where the life and the energy comes back around. So it's kind of a, a, a simplistic illustration, but it does stick in your mind of this idea of what it is that we were made for. And when uh, God said it's not good for man to be alone, I don't think that was just in um, physical references. I think there's a spiritual component to that as well. And as Paul writes and others, many other places, um, let us not give up on meeting together is a a biblical injunction and command. It's not to say that we can't have issues or problems or critiques or criticisms of our church, but we have to recognize it is who 
a core part of who we are. And it's a place where we grow and where we work and where we seek transformation for ourselves and for each other as a community, ultimately for the glory of God and for our neighbor's good. And then what it does for us becomes not even a secondary, but a, what's the third version of that? Um, it's much farther back on the scale of what's important. Um, and so we have to, worship is the opposite, is the opposite of consuming. It's not about me. It's about God. And so if you're living in a consumeristic culture, you're going to struggle to see how the church benefits you if you think it's all about you. So um, I think be thoughtful of that. Cameron, your insight there was right. We don't want to neglect worship as one of the key components of why it is that people go to church. That was Moses's prayer, that the glory of God would be made known in the midst of the people. Um, and that's our prayer continued today, that the Lord would meet us there. And you know we have the promise of Christ that he will. So lean into that. I think if you're teaching, uh, and you're preaching, you're somebody who's in a leadership role, you're thinking deeply about your faith and you're encouraging others along the way, um, lean into that idea of what does it mean for us to worship well? What does it mean for us to really emphasize the value of the growth that only happens when we work together and collectively in community? And then how do we take our personal relationship and experience with Christ and feed that back into something that's good to share for the growth of others around us? Um, let's talk about these things, be intentional about them, and um, more precision and more clarity is what's going to be needed in order to have more stable communities going forward. So don't shy away from teaching things that you think other people know. Um, a weary world needs to know the good news that you do. So lean into sharing that and um, keep your door wide open to those uh, cold coals that might want to come tumbling back in. Uh, say a prayer for them and let's remember the Lord has a lot of work to do on us all. So you've been listening to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast where we think out loud about current events and Christian hope. Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book Nathan or Cameron, or if you'd like to support us financially, whether through a one-time donation or on a monthly basis, you can do so on the donate page at www.toltogether.com. That's toltogether.com. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating and sharing this content with your friends. It really does help.